When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are joined by a player who sits at the nexus of just about everything we love here at Cracked Rackets, whether it be college tennis, whether it be high-level professional action, whether it be talking to some of the game's greatest personalities. The player we have on today's show is not only an extraordinarily accomplished tennis player, she is also, dare I say, a tennis Twitter darling. Of course, I'm referring to former University of Georgia All-American and current WTA number 19 in the doubles rankings, Ellen Perez, who joins us on the first time on today's show to talk about oh so many different things that have happened throughout her time in the tennis world. Of course, we had to talk about the way that she and partner Nicole Melikar Martinez have clicked so brilliantly down the home stretch of the 2022 season. Both players very much alive in the race for the year-end finals. Of course, both players had a ton of success over the past few months as well, whether it was reaching the quarterfinals together at Wimbledon, finals in Toronto and Cincinnati, title in Cleveland, semifinals at the U.S. Open. If you've watched any high-level doubles of late, it is certain you have seen either Ellen Perez or Nicole Melikar-Martinez on your screen. That said, I also wanted to talk to Ellen about some of the less heralded aspects of her game, whether it be the fact that she continues to pursue a top 100 singles ranking. And it's always fascinating to me to hear how top-ranked doubles players balance those doubles pursuits with their singles career. It was fascinating to hear Ellen's perspective on that issue. Of course, also had to pick her brain about her time at the University of Georgia, why college tennis was the right pathway for her, why she does choose to take the time to engage with members of the tennis Twitter community with the frequency that she does. We talk about that and so much more. One of my favorite conversations of this 2022 season that we've had very much looking forward to all of you listeners enjoying and hearing today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to post these podcasts day in, day out here on the Cracked Interviews feed is because of the support we get not only from all of you listeners, but of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Swing Vision as well. And we are so proud at Crack Rackets to be partnered with a group that is at the forefront of all innovations happening regarding artificial intelligence within our sport. Simply put, the most efficient way to improve your game nowadays is to download the Swing Vision app. All you got to do, you download it on your phone, you turn it on anytime you hit the cord, and you let Swing Vision do the rest from there. They'll record your hitting session, break down the film, show you the misses, show you the makes, show you the things you need to work on as you strive to improve your game, of course. That and so much more, all available in the palm of your hand. All you got to do, check out the Swing Vision link in the description to this podcast today, or just head on over to the App Store and download it now. Of course, when you do, make sure you use our promo code CRACK20 when you sign 
sign up. Not only will let them know we sent you there, you'll get $20 off your purchase plus a free 14-day pro trial. Again, to learn more, just click on the link in the description to this episode. Again, shout out to our friends at Swing Vision for their continued support of this show. But with that said, time for a doozy of an episode. I know all of you Cracked fans are going to enjoy, so let's get to it. Here is my conversation with the one and only Ellen Perez. Hey, Cracked fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Cracked Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link to get signed up? Just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website. You set up your account. You download the app. You get rocking and rolling. Get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Joining us on the podcast today is a guest you may know best as a former All-American during her time at the University of Georgia. Of course, now we know her as a five-time WTA title winner. We know her as the current world number 19 in the WTA doubles rankings. And honestly, maybe we best know her as a tennis Twitter darling. Welcome on to the show, Ellen Perez. Ellen, welcome. Good evening to you. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for such a nice welcoming. That was nice. Uh, I appreciate it. You know, we've been working on them here. I butter you up early so that when I ask a stupid question later, you're like, but he was so nice in the intro, so I'll let it slide. Uh, but appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to chat with me tonight. And obviously, you are coming uh on this podcast from Tokyo, where you are playing this week. A little singles action for you in the qualifying. You're into the final round, and, you know, I want to talk about your double success, how that's affected your singles as well. But for you this week, it's got to feel good to get a couple wins under your belt. Yeah, it does. It's nice to get back on the singles court. Um, it's it's a weird sensation because I feel like a lot of people now call me a doubles player, um, <laughs> but I very much still love singles and very much still trying to make a singles career out of it. So it's nice to be back playing singles and getting wins and now back in a 500,000 main draw. Um, so that definitely helps with the title, I, I hope. When people call you a doubles player, does it kind of piss you off? It does a little, yeah. yeah. Um, because... 
firstly, we're just tennis players in general. Yeah. I, I hate when like you go to um, French Open or Wimbledon, for example, and they're like, "Oh, are you a singles? Are you a tennis player or are you a doubles player?" And it's like. <laughs> I'm both. <laughs> they, they separated a little bit, but no, I mean, I, I feel like I play well in singles and it's still what I'm trying to pursue. Um, obviously I've had more success in doubles, but I, yeah, don't like when they, you know, separate them like they're different things. Mm-hmm. Given the success you have had in doubles of late and I got the chance at the Cleveland open, obviously to see you practice a little bit on court, do you spend as much time, particularly these past few months when you know you're making finals in Canada and finals in Cincinnati, all these runs, are you still working on your singles game during the game uh, during the day as well? To be fair, these this hard court swing in the US, I, I haven't been. Um, I knew I was on a very heavy double schedule only, and the fact that we did have deep runs every day um, didn't help with allowing me to practice any singles. And kind of when I knew that I didn't have any singles for three, four weeks coming up, I kind of saw no no reason to. Um, usually, though, I've been traveling with a coach and mixing in a lot of singles and knowing that, you know, I've, if I'm not playing that week, the next week I had singles to play. So I kept up with playing singles practices. But, yeah, this U.S. swing, I definitely just focused on doubles only, um, especially playing with, you know, Nikki, um, being a doubles player. You know, she's always wanting to practice doubles, and I feel like I'm that type of person that always wants to be supportive of that and, like, not let them down. So I always want to, you know, put them first. And if I can fit in anything on the side, I will. But yeah, it was pretty tough over the U S swing. When was the last time you convinced Nicole to play you in a set of singles? I haven't, but you know, what's funny is we both came here to Tokyo and she thought she might get into some singles. So we did a bit of singles practice in uh, Florida, but more just open court stuff. We didn't really Uh, play any points or anything. I'm sorry. We'll get there. We're working our way towards that ultimate set. Um, And, you know, again, let me know what the result is, please. I'll leak it to the fans. (laughs) Um, But We're we're convinced we'd play each other here in Tokyo, but (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun to see her on the other side of that qualifying draw? But uh, obviously, you know, I alluded to the success you had during this hard court summer. And as I mentioned, world number 19 now, new career high. Congrats. It's got to be pretty cool to be the 19th best at anything in the world. So shout out to you. Um, talk to me about what clicked so well over the last six weeks and the run you and Nicole went on, obviously, to make the final in Canada, you know, final Cincinnati, win Cleveland, semis U.S. Open. Should probably mention that quarters of Wimbledon as well. That's a pretty good two-month run, if you're asking me. Yeah, we, we definitely improved as, as we went, but I was actually more surprised that we didn't have such great results early on. Um, I don't think anything really changed dramatically between us. I think maybe it was we got to know a little bit more how each other liked to play. Like, you know, when Nikki stretched out wide, I have an inkling of what she might be doing just based on, you know, what her favorite shots are and how she likes to play. So it helps me to move into positions um, and cover things a little better. And yeah, I, I think just getting to know each other, our dynamic, our chemistry gets a little bit closer, um, makes you feel really good on court, things like that. So I think that's maybe the only thing. And just obviously with more and more matches and court time, you can only really improve. So I think that's also another factor. But overall, I think we had some really tough, close losses, any, even when we weren't doing well. So it was never like a case of that we were yeah, dramatically improving, it was more just time would eventually you know, pay off. 
Do you think the no-ad scoring in doubles is part of the reason for that? Because when I watch, and I, I think this happens to anyone who goes to a pro event, I watch all these matches, and all I can ever think is, how does anyone lose? It's like, you're all so good at tennis, and the margins really are so thin. Um, obviously, at the U.S. Open, you're playing ad scoring, which is always interesting to see that switch being made. But um, I'm curious, the no-ad format, round in, round out, week in, week out, is that helpful or is that frustrating? Um, I find it frustrating. Uh, I think it makes it a bit more of a coin toss. Um, you already have that and then you throw in a 10-point tiebreaker and I think there's a lot of times where the match you feel like was on your racket for most part and then somehow you, the team that probably wasn't the better team for most of it can just come out on top just because of, you know, one short juice or a um, short 10-point uh, tiebreak. But... Yeah, it is nice to go to the slams and kind of change it up and have the extended format. Um, I think that favors me and Nikki in particular. But yeah, I think throughout my career, I'm someone that would prefer to play out the full length. Yeah, yeah, I think it's more fun as well. And especially with how creative doubles can get to see some of the reactions. Always a joy for me, but maybe that's why I do what I do. Um I do want to nerd out a little bit in doubles because watching you and Nicole play, and it's funny, you talk about what she was going to do stretched wide. When you said that in my head, I was like, yeah, she's going lob or she's going line. Um, I was like, even I know at this point as well. Um, But, you know, developing that chemistry, um, how difficult is that? Is it something that literally just takes time? And how important is, you know, I I was talking to Jackson Withrow, who we had on the pod recently, and he was saying more than anything else in doubles, it's really about communication between you and your partner. Do you feel similarly as you approach the court? Yeah, for sure. Communication is key. I think if you can communicate well and know what your partner's doing and what best way they can play their best tennis, even if it's, you know, if it's Nikki likes me to tell her a small correction or for me, I like if she's giving me positive affirmations, you know, like I might miss and she comes to me and says, no worries. That was the right shot. Like good miss. That makes me feel really good. Like it's kind of that, that you kind of work out when you play a little bit together, how, you know, you're going to best work together. Um, But I also think off court, it really helps to, you know, have that friendship. A lot of my best partnerships have been with people that I I like to hang out with, that I can banter with, you know, um, feel really comfortable around. I think it's tough when you don't know the person or, you know, I I don't really have a good example, but like if you respect them too much, if I was to go play with maybe like a eager Sviatek right now, I'd be so nervous out on court because I'd be like in awe with playing with her that I wouldn't be able to be myself. And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is like being comfortable with the person you're with and being able to have that, you know, communication and friendship. Mm-hmm. I was looking through the stats as I was preparing for today's show. And I, I mentioned you made, I think, or you've won five doubles titles, which shout out to you. Uh, you've made 12 finals. I think it's with nine different partners. And I was talking about this with Jackson as well. How difficult is it as someone who, you know, the do- because the doubles ranking system is so tricky and getting entry into tournaments, it's far too complicated in how it actually works. Um, but finding that right partner and knowing that you might be playing with someone, but maybe you play a quarterfinal against someone else and you see your opponent and you're like, ooh, I might partner really well with her game because she does certain things I don't. As a player, do you feel that like during matches? How difficult, you know, do I because you talk about that communication and it's like to tell someone, hey, I really liked playing with you, but I'm going to go play with this person instead. How difficult is that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, 
more so in my career, I've never been able to like secure a long-term partner just because of singles and always being so unsure of a schedule and not being able to commit solely to a doubles only player. And, you know, when you are playing with singles girls, you're both on the same page and you can kind of mix and match, play here, not play there. And it's very easy to kind of just say, Hey, I'm not going to play this week or Mm -hmm. let's just keep in touch. And it's not awkward. You're not really having to break up with them. Um, (laughs) But yeah, throughout my career, I've played plenty of girls where, you know, they're top 10 in the world or top 20. And I, I see things of their game. And I'm like, damn, I would really love to play with them or, um, but I think that's the important thing is finding a partner that they, their strengths um, and what they can attribute to the team is something that you're maybe lacking kind of the, the yin to yang. Um, or sometimes you might want to strengthen up. Like if you think I'm a really good, if I think I'm a really good server and then we get two really good servers, then you're like, Oh, all we have to do is, you know, sneak one break or things like that. So, I don't know. I don't know what people look for. For me, it's a bit of both. Um, chemistry is important to me more so than actually those type of things. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of plays even now that I look at, you know, some of these Czech girls and I'm like, you know, they're so solid. That would be great to have them at this. But then when you look at your own partner, you're like, but then my partner's better at this than them. So <laughs> like it's, it's weighing it up. And then also just like how you think the partnership's going overall. Mm-hmm. No, and obviously you and Nicole playing pretty well. Uh, you talk about that scheduling part to get this question out of the way early. What does your schedule look like for the end of the year, given where you're at in the doubles rankings? Obviously, you were able to get into qualifying in Tokyo uh, this week. Uh, do you want to make a little bit of a singles push here to end the year, or how will you schedule out the rest of your season? Yeah, so I am doing a little bit more singles. Um, I've added in after Tokyo, I'm going to Templeton 60. And Rancho Santa Fe 80K. So that's kind of my three weeks of trying to put a little bit of singles on the board. And then I'm going back to doubles for San Diego, Guadalajara. Um, And that's uh, more so because we're chasing the race now that um, me and Nicole are eight in the race. And it's, it's a very close race for that eighth spot. I think the team behind us is only six points and then team behind them is only about a hundred. So everyone really wants that last spot in the, in the race. Um, so, yeah, th- that was kind of the plan is put a few big tournaments for the doubles, put a few s- little tournaments for the singles and try and balance it out and hopefully both can be successful. <laughs> I just love that it's, you know, you go to Canada, you go through the Ohio swing, you go to New York. Then we're going to do a quick week in Tokyo, but then I'm coming back to Templeton for the, the 60K. You got to love that about the tennis schedule. It's just uh, just wonderful. And by the way, not enough lefties in the world. So as someone with two brothers as lefties, great to always enjoy a lefty out on court. Um, with that travel schedule in mind, and obviously early in your career, when you're trying to establish yourself at the ITF level, you'll go anywhere. There's an event, right? Um, is that fun or is that, does, you know, more fun, more wearing on you as a person? Um, yeah, I guess I enjoy traveling personally. I love going to new countries, um, different countries and, you know, experiencing different cultures and things like that. But I think everyone's pretty conscious of not traveling from A to B. C to back to B to, you know, like traveling different continents and switching time zones a lot. I think it is nice. And a lot of players try and keep in the same regions and areas and pick tournaments close by because yeah, if you keep switching and moving so much, it's so tough. And like, if you do do well in one tournament, getting to the next is a panic and a rush and, and then you're just compromising yourself. So um, I think everyone will try and play a schedule that makes sense, but yeah, at times the schedules don't make sense. And this is definitely one of them. I saw last week was Chennai in India and to get from India to Japan was, you know, 12 hours. It's, it's not like you're that close actually. And 
So for me, I actually was meant to play Berkeley this week. I was just going to keep it nice and easy, stay in the, um, the West Coast, just do the rundown. But then as soon as uh, we did well in the doubles, I thought I better make the commitment to go to Tokyo. So that's what I was going to ask. That was about the points race. That was just because, look, we got a shot at the year-end finals. We got to take it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call, by the way. And nothing, you know, again, an excuse. And but our tour finals are in Fort Worth this year, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's that's a spot. That's interesting. It'll be fun. Maybe, uh, you know, hopefully, given it's stateside, I think I'll be able to go. But that's a me oh. issue. Now, you know, so... Hopefully, we'll both be there. Um, but, you know, with that in mind, obviously, I want to take things back a little bit earlier in your career because, you know, you were someone who was a top 100 and, you know, around the top 50 junior in the world back in 2012, 2013. And, you know, I mentioned this and it's because it's in my research and, you know, we don't talk about me enough on this show. Um, October 10th, 95, October 6th, 95. Shout out to the October crew. Um you know, you were a high-ranked junior, but towards the end of your junior career, you got injured. And so you weren't able to play junior Wimbledon, junior French Open. Is that injury part of the reason you end up going and playing college tennis? Or was college tennis always something you had your eye on? Um, college tennis is always something I kept open as an option. Um, I didn't even know at the time when I was a bit younger what it was, what it entailed, if I wanted to go. Um to be fair, I wasn't huge on school. I, I didn't really love having to study and all those types of things. Um, school came okay to me naturally. Like I, I would always, you know, do okay, but it was never like something I was that thrilled about, you know, crushing, for example. But um, I knew I wanted to take all the classes to keep myself eligible and leave it open as an option because I had heard, you know, certain other players are going and it was looking like a more lucrative pathway. Um, but my parents, yeah, they also were ones that were like, you know, I've had plenty of injuries growing up. Um, I have spondylolisthesis in my back. I've had, you know, stress fracture in my ankle, two Achilles surgeries. I had a right wrist injury going before college. I had left elbow surgery at college. Like I had a bunch of issues. So I did know that I always wanted, you know, tennis might not be everything. I might need a backup. So I think that was more the big reason. Um, I felt like I wasn't really 100% ready to go pro. Um, so, I, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of injuries, having a backup and just knowing I wasn't ready, I think. Mm -hmm. Why Georgia? To be honest, I didn't know many at the time. Um, I kind of went down the list. I think I sent a message out to kind of the top 30 and kind of all of them got back to me. But at the one thing that was kind of tough was I sent the message in April to go in August. So a lot of the top schools um, had given away all their scholarships. Um, but Georgia at the time was one in the um, in the country for um, – and then I the other schools that got back to me were kind of all within the top 25. Um, and I don't know. I wanted to get a good variation of different locations around America. I didn't really know where I wanted to be. I knew I didn't really want to be somewhere too north because it would be cold. Um <laughs> But I didn't know much about schools and what college tennis was about. So, yeah, it was kind of just when I went on the visits, what I kind of felt and liked the most. And that's just, yeah, I went with it. Winter's build character. Uh, that's all I'll say. Uh, so, you know, you can't enjoy a summer unless you have to suffer through a winter. Um, but obviously for you, and by the way, that's great. You, you go in May. At least you didn't wait till the last second. 
Like that would have been worse. You know, you could have waited until July instead of May. It could have been uh, that much. But, you know, does that mean you didn't take a visit? You just blindly trusted? You said, all right, this is where I'm going. No, I did. I took a visit. I, I took an official visit to five schools. Um, so I reached out in April, went on these visits, I think maybe May, and then decided pretty much right after. Um, I went to um, Texas A&M, Baylor, um, Florida State, Virginia, and Georgia. I remember I had um, USC on my list. And just before I was about to leave to go, um, they filled the spot with a player. So I had to make a quick change. And yeah. Would you recommend using all five officials? I would say four is probably appropriate. Like it's, it's tough though. Cause if your fifth one is the one that you do go to, then it's, it is worth it. But I feel like, I think Georgia was number three and on my visit. And once I went to Georgia, I kind of knew that was the one by comparing it to the other two. And then you go to a fourth and then by the fourth, I'm kind of like, Oh, do I have to go to the fifth? I already know. <laughs> that yeah. And it, it drags on a little bit. Um, Cause they are very full days and, you know, a lot of them are telling you the same things and things like that. But yeah, if you kind of find one that you already really like, then it makes it more difficult if you have five. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure it's fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure once that's, I like that idea of you go to the school, you know, then you go to one more to make sure, you know, that makes sense. I, you know, again, from a thought process perspective, yeah. um, what was your first, uh, you know, I've gotten the chance to get to know Jeff Wallace a little bit. What's your first reaction to meeting him? Because, I, I mean, I love Jeff. He's a fascinating guy, though. I wonder, like, what's that first reaction to meeting him? Um, I can't remember my first reaction to meeting <laughs> him. I mean, yeah, he's a really nice guy, and he's pretty passionate about the team and the girls and creating a really nice culture at Georgia. Um, but, yeah, I think he's – yeah, he's just a, a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree there. What's the first reaction to play in front of that Athens crowd? Had you Was that the biggest crowd you'd ever play in front of? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I'm trying to think back. I, I don't think I would have got, you know, Georgia can get up to a thousand people sometimes coming to those matches, usually always in like a couple hundred um, range. So it was awesome. I thought that was the coolest thing. I, I remember my first few matches I was pretty nervous just to get, you know, your first wins on the board and things like that. Um, but that was, that was maybe the coolest part of college, the college atmosphere. Mm-hmm. How does Georgia do it? If you don't mind me asking, what, like, how do you get 500 people to show up to just every match that you're playing? And then you sell out for the big ones as well. What is it about the Athens community that has them supporting the program that way? That's a good question. I mean, firstly, we're a big you know, college sports um, fanatics. I think a lot of our programs do well in sports. Um, I remember walking around campus and everyone kind of idolizes the athletes. I think it's just, you know, kind of instilled in them to like go and support the sports and um, they know that we have pretty good programs in place. I think that's one. And then obviously there's a lot of people in Athens. It's a very big college town. And if you are there, you're mostly, a, you know, a college student. And I think the students are pretty good about, you know, going out and supporting friends and, you know, doing things like that. Um, everyone loves free stuff. I know we used to always <laughs> give away free shirts and pizza and things like that. So those little incentives, maybe that was key. And I think it also helps that we were hosting NCAAs a lot and kind of had such a good stadium, like a good setup, you know, those stands overlooking the top three courts. Um, it gets pretty rowdy and it's, you know, I think people actually enjoyed that kind of atmosphere. So maybe over the years, it just became a bit of a tradition that people would just go and um, support the tennis. 
it's a blemish on my resume. I've never been to Athens. I'm like, that's the one That's the one I still got to get to because although I do feel like on a sunny day sitting on those bleachers, like you're going to bake a little bit. It's going to get hot, um, but definitely worth it. And yeah, I, I think it's got to be on every tennis player's bucket list. You talk about transitioning to college tennis and, you know, the level that that was like a little bit earlier. I'm curious, better or worse than you expected? Transitioning from college tennis to pros or? Uh, uh, to to college from the juniors, the level in college. Was that better than you thought it'd be? Yeah, the level was a lot higher than I thought. I mean, there's no such thing as a bad number one or two. <laughs> Every school, even the, the small schools, their number one could play good tennis. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. I mean, these girls, there's a lot of girls even now coming out of college and transitioning into pros. And I think the level at college is sitting between that two, 200 to 300 mark. And then you've got the few that obviously break to the top 100 or top 150 at least um, at the top of the game. But everyone is, you know, well within that, you know, ITF of 200 to 300 range. Um, So that was the kind of the most surprising thing. And then the depth is pretty good. Like, especially at those top schools, um, people, their number six can can beat their number one on any given day type of thing. So I think that's the the part that, you know, you don't expect. Mm Mm-hmm. How is transitioning to the energy level of college tennis? Because obviously anyone who's seen a college match knows players get after it and it definitely gets aggressive. Um, you know, was that a fun aspect to transition to as well? And, you know, would, is that same intensity carried over to the pros? The same intensity is not carried over to the pros. <laughs> college atmosphere is something so different and something I really had to get used to. Um, I remember being heckled for the first time. You know, we went to Baylor and... You know, these these people are yelling out things at you and, um, you know, calling you whether it's fat or ugly and things like that. And you're just like, wow, like you're not expecting it. But, you know, it's kind of grows on you. You kind of thrive in that environment by the end. And, you know, you almost become a part of it and you're kind of like, oh, my God, who am I? And I remember at one point, like George is very big on, you know, you had to yell out go dogs in the middle of your match or like yell out, a, you know, someone's name and say, let's go such and such. Like and it's so, you know it was uncomfortable for me to do at the start because like, I was like, that's so weird. Like I'm not someone to just like yell out like that. But then, you know, as you kind of get used to it, it's kind of like second nature and you just want to get involved. You want to cheer on your team and it's like the normal thing to do. So yeah, it it is a bit of a transition to get used to, but like once you are a part of the, like the college culture, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. This might be a stupid question. I preface that in advance. Would professional tennis be more entertaining if it had the intensity of college of the college game? I think for sure. I think I think you got the likes of like a Nick Kyrgios kind of bringing that with, um, you know, that kind of basketball culture where, you know, you're constantly engaging, engaging with the crowd. You're trying to, you know, put on a bit of show and interact and, you know, be loud. I think, you know, there is aspects where tennis is such a gentleman's sport, you know, that, that where we got to be quiet and things like that. But I think college tennis kind of shows that we can make it something different. Um, you know, there's always something going on across all six courts that you've got cheering and yelling going on at all the times and we're still able to play good tennis. So I think if we could take elements of college tennis, it, it would be really cool to see. I would love, this is again, another stupid thing. And we have automatic line calling now, so it would make sure that this wouldn't happen. But I would love for pros to call their own lines just so we can see like who's going to call them clean, who's not. And like we have the electronic line calling to make sure in the end. But I think that'd be fun. 
I think fans would enjoy it. Like, why not try things like that? And I often wonder how we can bring that intensity because obviously big college tennis fans here at Cracked Rackets. I think you're right, like that dual match intensity to have six matches going at once. You can see them all and there's just this fire across the court. I do feel like sometimes that's lacking in pro tennis, right? Like sometimes you can feel when there's that energy in the crowd. I mean, can you feel that on court as well? Yeah, for sure. I think, but I think uh, COVID definitely helped with kind of making it <laughs> normal. <laughs> um, so now it's just nice to hear anything. I, I don't even know if it's, if it's a yawn at this point, I'll take it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, when you've got a good crowd and when it's energetic and things like that. And, you know, I, so it would be good to get that brought into the tennis world. And I do like your idea actually of the online calling. Um I have not thought of that, to be fair. And I think that would settle a lot of problems. I think we're onto something here. And maybe I even take this further. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's a freebie for you. Uh, it's the least I could do for you taking the time to chat with us today. So they, I appreciate yeah, because, it. Because I mean, I feel like you'd expose so many cheats. Like yeah. some of these girls, they just in practice sets and things like that. I they're, I don't know. They just want to win so badly that, you know, they, they think everything's in or out in whatever way that it's for them. And and then I think that you would see a lot different, you know, fan bases if people were starting to, like, call so badly and things like that. So it could be interesting. And then you don't feel so hard done by when, you know, you um play something and you don't really know that you just played a ball that was out or, you know, things like that. Yeah, I, again, I'm all for whatever we can do to make it more entertaining. I also, and this is a little thing, you used to be able to, be able to yell out between first and second serves in college, and it was just fine. That was part of the game. Is that something that should come back? Because when I, something that makes me angry as a fan, especially knowing the sport that the way I do, if the fans are yelling, like the idea of a chair umpire ever being like, quiet down, I'd be like, no, like, don't quiet down. Like, we actually have a crowd that's engaged. Let them be engaged. And I get that it can be distracting. Like, you don't want someone screaming as you're tossing the ball up in the air. At the same time, I do want an engaged crowd. And what it comes down to is what would the players allow? So, Ellen Perez, you are a player. What would you allow? Well, I think the issue is is the stop start. I think if it was sure. constant noise and it never stopped and chatter and all that was allowed, you'd get used to it. But if you were to throw a ball up and someone yells, you suck, well, like, I don't know, something yeah. out loud, then it, it, it makes you, like, then it scares you or, like, it'll put you off. Um, sure. So if it's if it's kind of like during the point you're not allowed to cheer and stuff like that, then I don't see a – I don't like that people cheer in between serves because then it's just, like – you're waiting for the time for them to stop cheering so you can start the point. And I think that's just like more disruptive. But if it was like you can keep cheering throughout the point and things like that, then I'm fine with it because, you know, your cheers, you're not stopping me from starting to serve because you're just going to keep cheering the entire point. So, yeah, I think there's kind of boundaries and rules around it. But I wouldn't mind seeing tennis go in that direction, but I, I don't think many of the players would have the same thoughts that I do. And ultimately, I think it does come down to what will the players be willing to tolerate? Because obviously, 
You don't want your performance to suffer on court because of it. Speaking of your performance on court, uh, your freshman year, you play primarily in the number two spot uh, in college. And, you know, you go, I think, 14 and 10 at the number two spot, 15, 11 overall. Sophomore year, you make a big jump. You're 16 and three at that number one spot. And, you know, that summer you go on to win a futures title or, uh, you know, at the ITF level. And, you know, you're having success in the pros I've seen you, you talk about this before, but never at length. I'm curious, you, you thought about leaving after your sophomore year. Why didn't you make that decision to turn pro then? Why did you ultimately come back for that third season? Um, I think the big thing was the commitment I'd made to Georgia. Um, at the time, one, I'd signed a lease to stay in a house with a bunch of um, girls on my team. That's and important. I... I really liked the idea. I thought it was going to be awesome. I thought one thing was it's going to be very hard to get out of that lease and a lot of drama. Two was I had told Georgia I was staying. Um, and then obviously I had a lot of success and made the US Open and was able to um, play in that main draw. And, I, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. And then, you know, there's a lot of money on the table and things like that. Um, and, yeah, I think there was also, you know, talks of, when you kind of finish college, you know, there's things that maybe Georgia could do for me and a little bit of, you know, enticing that went on. Um, but <laughs> not that it ever went through. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I felt like I owed it to the team more so. And I I kind of – I really enjoyed the college atmosphere and, and vibes. So, for me, it was almost like I knew my tennis maybe was at a point where I should leave, but I, I wasn't ready personally to leave, like – I felt like I had kind of unfinished business and still friendships and things I wanted to still stay at Georgia for. So I kind of said, all right, one more year. And then I'm really satisfied. And I knew I'd ticked everything and kind of left everything, you know, settled. And I didn't want to be that person to just leave and kind of leave everyone hanging. When you promote college tennis to young players, something we try to do here on these shows, uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure it did wonders for your tennis game. And it's not an either or here. But you talk about not being ready as a person to turn pro. Is that as essential to the college experience as any development you did on court as well? Just not being an 18-year-old anymore, but being 21, 22 years old and being like, okay, I think I actually am ready for the professional tennis lifestyle. That you saying that did I develop it? Was that as important for you, you know, again, in going to Georgia? Rather, like, did you think your tennis was ready maybe your sophomore year? But again, it, it sounds like as a person you weren't. Yeah, I, 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 I guess so. I think tennis-wise, I'd accomplished what I wanted at okay. college. I'd got to, I think, I was number two in doubles, number two in singles, um, and I kind of felt like I'd seen everything I needed to see in the tennis tennis realm. But, yeah, I was just more enjoying the college aspect that kept me there. I, I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't ready mentally, like, for the tour, Um I think it was more just things I really enjoyed at college and like my friendships there that kept me there. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I read an article once that at an article in preparation for this, I read an article once in preparation for this, that at three years old, you were popping softballs all over the backyard and that you have always been a coordinated person. And obviously anyone who's watched you play doubles has seen that coordination. I'm curious, though, as it relates to your college experience, 
more beneficial for your singles game or your doubles game? Because when you look at the ATP and WTA top 100 pro doubles rankings, I mean, pick a name out of a hat, they probably played college tennis. And I do feel like that, maybe more than anything else, is what makes that college tennis experience so valuable. Yeah, I I think um, for me being talented and having all those kind of skills and stuff, I think it's more important and more useful in doubles. I think doubles has a lot of elements where you can be a bit more skillful and kind of use that kind of side of your game. Um, but yeah, I think college tennis really prepares you for transitioning into doubles. I mean, there's nowhere where you're going to get that many doubles matches and practice that much doubles like you do at college. Um and you, I think also the, um, the aspect of being in a team and working together, it's the first time that you're really playing tennis as a team rather than individually. And I think obviously that, you know, fares well in then going into the doubles. Um, you know, you're used to kind of being in a team and playing for something bigger than yourself and it's not just you out there and things like that. So I think maybe that's another part to it, but yeah. I heard you once tossed a racket in practice and the whole team had to run sprints. Is that true? Oh, where did we get this from? I, 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 on me? I have sources. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I have sources. That you know, young Alan Press is a little fiery. I hear that story and uh, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> 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 Sounds like something I did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It checks out. I'll take it. No, I'm sure, again, that college experience was so valuable. What's the toughest part of year one in the pros? I actually struggled not so much okay yes the tennis is there's some aspects where like the girls the jump in tennis can be pretty good but is more missing everyone I felt like I have a lot of FOMO like I'm that person that wants to go to everything because I, I don't want to be on the other end where I'm like oh I wish I'd went oh my god they look at the best time ever and it was seeing all my college teammates out partying traveling doing different things and kind of like that could have been me and the moments when you're not having the success on the ITF and you're kind of going through all these losses and then you're seeing friends having the time of their lives back at college and you're kind of like what am I doing right now with myself I think that's the biggest thing that I struggled with and I'm not sure that anyone else would have that struggle that's a very me as a person you know being very social and things like that that's kind of what I love to do so I think for me personally that was kind of my thing but um yeah, and also I think finding your place on the tour, it is a, it's, you know, I, I'm someone that likes friends and doing things all the time. And when you go to these tournaments and you don't know anyone and you're kind of just like in your hotel room, like, well, who the hell am I going to practice with? And you don't really know anyone. It, it's tough. So I think the good part was maybe the second year on the tour was all these college girls, like I just was in the room with um, Juliana Olmos and Desiree Kravchek and girls like that you're now on the tour all together and you're kind of in the same boat. And we all kind of took it upon ourselves to kind of form like that college tennis doubles crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what made, you know, being on the tour fun again and um, feeling welcome and like you did belong. College tennis doubles crew is the name of the WhatsApp group chat, right? I just assume like that's the perfect <laughs> title there. I also think when we're taking a cutaway clip from this episode, it's going to be you saying, I'm someone who likes friends. I'm like, all right, that's good to know. Like, I also <laughs> like friends. So we have that in common as well. But um, no, it, you know, looking at uh, your pro career, it feels like 
that fall of 2018 when, you know, you're making a couple of, I think you made three doubles finals in October and, you know, uh, final of a 60K in September, you're also having success on the singles side as well. Did you feel like it took 12 months to find your bearings and then it seems like that second fall, you really started to rock and roll? I guess so. I think it's a kind of, it's tough because I, I can have my tennis go up and down so quickly. Okay. Um, I think I'm someone that when I start getting wins on the board, I just keep rolling with them and I grow in confidence. And I don't know what it was at that point in time. Maybe it is that I felt more established on the tour and more comfortable, but it would have probably also just been that I got like one win on the board or two wins or beat someone that, you know, I hadn't been in the past or like, and then I just get that belief and then I just roll with it. And I think back in 2018, it just started clicking. Um, and yeah, I think that might have just been it, but it's hard to say and remember, really. Yeah, no, I'm playing the results a little bit as well. It's like they look good, so that must have been when it clicked. Um, so we'll go with that. But, you know, again, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've got a big singles match coming up tomorrow. So final few questions for you. As you, uh, you know, look towards the next year and you know I know sometimes blocking things out even a year as a pro tennis player that's way too much time in advance you're like how am I going to get to Tuesday let alone get to next next February um what are the things you would like to do you know obviously top 20 now in doubles still trying to build that to that top 100 debut in singles what what does the next year look like for you yeah it's it's tough to lay out just because it's so much unknown with my singles ranking. I definitely still want to pursue some singles. Um, my goal would definitely get my ranking back into qualifying of slam level, just so I'm at least amongst it. It allows me then to play WTAs in both singles and doubles. I think kind of if you're in that top 220 range, you can get into always a 250 and kind of sneak into 500s and things like that. And obviously it's a good paycheck to be able to play qualifyings of slams all the time. So that's obviously like a very attainable goal I would obviously love to be top 100 but you know fitting in a singles and doubles schedule it makes it very tough um and then doubles wise I mean uh, I would obviously top 10 would be the next the next big step and winning a slam I think I I left Australia in uh, right after Wimbledon I went back to Australia for a couple of weeks training and I remember one of the coaches kind of talking to me about you know heading over the U.S. hardcourt swing and I said He's like, oh, what's the goal? Like, where do you think you can go? And I said, oh, I like win US Open. That's the goal. And he's like, oh, like you think you can do it? I was like, you know what? I do. I feel like I'm kind of ready for that now. And I, I said it. I felt like he was a little surprised. And then you and I were surprised. I didn't actually know how good our results would be, this hard court swing. And then it just started to play into action. And, yeah, now I, I really do believe that uh, winning a slam next year is very achievable. And that would definitely be one of the goals I think I'll put for myself. Um and then, yeah, I think top 10. Would it feel particularly sweet if it was against Krachikova and Sinyakova, given they were the team this year? You're like, all right, we're going to play them. We're going to beat them. They're the ones on the dartboard. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I don't think they were, like playing us either. Um, <laughs> they've currently got us on the two two to one at the moment. It was yeah. it was nice to get them in Cincinnati. I think um, – I looked at some stat that they hadn't lost a match since like a year before that. Um, so that was kind of comforting. I think um, it's also nice to, you know, lose to them both times in three sets. I think we're right there with them. There's things even we as a partnership have only been going for a couple of months and they've been going for just a couple of years, you know, so <laughs> 
I feel like we have time to work on some things and really um, be a team that can rival them. Um, I mean, yeah, who knows? I mean, there's obviously a lot that can go on with both teams and, you know, there's other teams out there who are really good at, at the moment. So we'll see. But, yeah, it is nice to kind of have that little rivalry. We'll see how we, we go with that. When you start racking up your slam titles in the juniors, uh, yeah, you, you've had some success for a while. I agree. Um, all right, Olympics. 2021 what did that mean to you to be able to represent your home country it meant everything to me um I don't know if other you know countries kind of had this but for us in Australia like Olympics was kind of the pinnacle it's always what we looked at as like the most elite um I remember being a kid you'd sit and watch you know whether it's darts or shooting or this (laughs) and that like watch every sport and you just be like in awe and it's kind of like I always said like, that's what I always wanted to do. It was a big dream and goal of mine. Um, more than probably winning a slam. Uh, like for me, Olympics was top of the, you know, top of the um, pedestal. So to be able to go was, it was amazing. Um, it was surreal. It was kind of like that I've, I've done it moment a little bit. Um, so yeah. You mentioned darts. This is so stupid. One of my dream jobs at some point it's on the bucket list and you hurt, you know, you got to see me MC in Cleveland. Hopefully I can take things to the next level and I can be the guy at the darts event who's like double 20, like 19 or whatever he hits the board. Cause I think that guy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, that guy has the best job in the world. All he has to do is yell numbers enthusiastically, like sign me up. That one seems easy. Um, but all right with, and yeah, to, to your point, the Olympics, especially when you're young, you, you watch everything and you're just like, I would, can only imagine what it's like to have that opportunity. So uh, obviously to make quarterfinals, they're not the worst thing either. All right. Last two questions for you. And they're two questions presented by our sponsors at Swing Vision. We're introducing a new segment here on the Cracked Interviews podcast called the Swing Vision Question of the Interview. And of course, listeners should check out the Swing Vision app as Swing Vision's on the forefront of all things artificial intelligence happening in the tennis world. Simply put, you can have an app break down your game for you. Learn more by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. With that said, Ellen Perez, our Swing Vision Questions of the Day for you. I mentioned in your intro, tennis Twitter darling, you are someone who takes the time to engage with your followers on Twitter, takes the time to engage with the tennis community at large. Why is that something you have taken the time to do? And, you know, be honest, you feel the love, don't you? You acknowledge you're a tennis Twitter darling. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. I'm someone that likes to banner i like to stir the pot i like mm-hmm. to put my opinions out there i think twitter's a great place for that also a very dangerous place to do that um <laughs> but i also see it as like i mean i don't see myself as someone famous or you know notable or worthy of half the time what people say about me but i feel like if i have that platform and ability to help others and you know make their day even though to me i'm like why would me saying hello make your day but <laughs> If that does it for them, I'm like, why can't I? I'll, I'll happily do that. Like, I just want, you know, obviously, like, very cliche, but I want the world to be a better place. I think if if it's no skin off my back, then I'm willing to do it. So I, I, I enjoy it for the most part. I think getting to know new people, you know, and, you know, even at some points I'll stand up for other players. If, you know, we can stop one person from being a Twitter troll and things like that, I think it's it's nice. 
Yeah, I I wish more players would engage the way you engage because it really is so enjoyable. And yeah, we need more people who are willing to stir this pot. And speaking of that, my final question for you. And again, I pride myself on an ability to do the research and ask the questions I think listeners need to hear. And I told you this before the podcast. Should you feel the need to swear at me, go ahead and do it. I won't be offended. Uh, my final question for you, and I think it's an important one. When is Jeremy going to pop the question? <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is actually funny because he is taking a lot of heat right now with all of my friends and asking him. And he came over to join me in Europe in Rome and French. And people were asking me, do you think he's going to ask you? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> no. But at this point, we weren't even two years. Well, maybe we were two years. And I was like, that's. I feel like that's so early. And. But there's a lot of like my friends now getting married and I'm just like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. Like people always thinking like that people are getting married now. And I'm just like, I, I don't, we're not in a rush. Um, I don't think he's <laughs> close at all. You can, you can ask him. <laughs> He'll appreciate the question actually. <laughs> Good. Yeah, no. Okay. That makes... I say that he definitely will not appreciate the question. I feel like he's stressing out at this point. Oh, good. That's that's his job. That's half the fun, right? And I did a radio interview east, uh, recently, humble brag, and they go like, "Do you think Nick Kyrgios is washed?" And I was like, "He's six months older than me. Like, I really hope he's not washed, because then like I got six months. Like, start the clock." And so, um, yeah, it's just I'm in no rush, and so I figured I'd we could end the podcast there. And again to all of our listeners, our Swing Vision questions of the day. Check out the Swing Vision app to learn more about how they can start helping your tennis game today. With that said, Ellen Perez, you've got singles match tomorrow. You've got doubles action this week. You've got a chase for the World Tour Finals that I know we're all looking forward to following. So thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. This was delightful, and uh, know that there's a spot open for you anytime. My pleasure, and thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Good luck this week as well. Thank you. <laughs> Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with former UGA All-American pro tennis standout and let's be honest, all around great person in Ellen Perez. Cannot thank Ellen enough for tolerating all of my nonsense throughout the course of the interview and for taking the time to chat with us again. Came to us live from Tokyo and, you know, considering the time difference there, considering the fact that she did have a singles qualifying match the next day, again, can't emphasize enough how grateful I am Ellen took the time to chat with us. Hopefully, we will have the opportunity to have her back on the show in the near future, perhaps by that point her longtime boyfriend Jeremy will have proposed and will be able to offer a bit of a life update on all things happening in Ellen's world of course Ellen not the only fantastic conversation we've had of late though here on this cracked interviews podcast feed we've got another fantastic show with Jackson Withrow coming up another top 100 doubles player this time on the ATP side of course Jackson former ITA All-American as well certainly looking forward to sharing that with all of you listeners and then seriously if you missed any of our conversations from Reading, Pennsylvania, talks with Ryan Harrison, Hugo Gaston, Samit Nagal, all of these players, in my opinion, have aged particularly well. And then we got some fun stuff on the horizon as well. I don't want to quite burst that bubble quite yet of what we plan on doing here down the home stretch of 2022, but I promise it will be something all of you fans enjoy. Of course, with that said, a shout out as always to our friends at Swing Vision for their continued support. Go check 
check out the Swing Vision app by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. Make sure you use our promo code CRACK20 upon sign up. A shout out as always as well to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of it at any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, for our fantastic guest, Ellen Perez, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.